need to and have to really look to more obvious things that are before our very eyes to help identify Israel rather than just some obscure letters that are taken and then extrapolated into Western Europe and so on. Some of those we've gone over many times. Uh, but the world doesn't recognize where Israel is except for the Jews. Now, they recognize them to be Israelite, but they don't recognize them to be one tribe of Israel. They just look upon them as Israel, and that's where they stop. But we know that there were 12 tribes, and that they still have to exist, and they have to be as the sand of the sea, and so on and so forth, <clears throat> based on the prophecies of the Bible. Well, what can you look at today? Uh, where are the most blessed nations who have the best climate, the most productivity, and so on? This nation being the leader of all, the most blessed nation. Where is the name of Christ? Now, you can find the name of Christ in Africa and Asia now, but how did it get there? It didn't come from there. It came from people who had the Bible, and who took the Bible other places and spread the name of Christ in other places from where? Western Europe. Where did the people who are in America today come from when this land was settled? Western Europe. There were others who came as well, and we became somewhat of a melting pot, but we basically were established from Western Europe and the nations there, uh, first and foremost being England. So, you can see just from those things, that where the name of God, the name of Christ, the Bible are, and originated in modern times, are the places where God had his name. He didn't have his name in China or Africa or anywhere else <clears throat> until it was taken there by European missionaries. So, that nation which bears, or those nations which bear the name of God, are the Anglo-Saxon and uh, Shemitic or Semitic people from Western Europe have now spread to some other lands, North America, Australia, and, and New Zealand, and so on. But those are pretty obvious when you look at them to see where Israel is. So we have to apply the same thing, in, and we did, in determining where Babylon is, Babylon is confusion. It's Satan's system. But it isn't too hard to identify from the Bible and the things that it says where the leader of Babylon or the world's society and culture, military strength and economics is today. So it isn't a matter necessarily of tracing ancient peoples and saying these are of ancient Babylonian ethnicity. Because the Bible makes it very clear that Babylon is a worldwide thing, and yet the prophecies focus on one nation as the leader, currently, at the end time, of Babylon. So it isn't ethnic so much as it is an identification of uh, world end-of-the-world end power. So when we look at the Assyrian, <clears throat> again, it's hard to trace ethnicity. As I commented, some may have settled in parts of Europe, including Germany. Some settled, I think, undeniably in the Crimea and U Ukraine. 
of the ancient Assyrians. They can be somewhat traced, but not as a group moving to one spot. That uh, is virtually impossible because peoples did migrate to various areas, and some here and some there. But looking at the world today, we have to identify where the seats of power are, where the protagonists are, which corner they're in, if you will, if they were boxers. What is the reality of what we look at today based upon Scripture and what it says the end-time scenario would bring? So that's what I'm trying to do here in the Bible and in Hosea at the moment to establish what the real situation is and how that fits Scripture and what Scripture predicted would be today. And looking at what is and comparing it with Scripture, what do we then have? How do the definitions come down? Let's go back to Hosea then, chapter 7, and I want to pick it up today in verse 11. Hosea 7, verse 11. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. So God depicts Ephraim, this nation, in the end time, like a dove. If you've watched doves fly, they kind of flutter about and zigzag somewhat as they fly. They don't have a straight course or path that they are following, but they kind of flutter about. Uh, Sportsmen will tell you doves are hard to, to shoot because of that in part. If they flew on a straight line, they'd be much easier to knock down, but they go back and forth and it makes it somewhat difficult. And the United States is very much that way today. But it says they call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. Now, Egypt in Scripture is uh, a type of this world of sin, uh, because Israel was into the captivity of Mitzrayim for those years. So it has become uh, a thing we can look at in terms of prophecy as the whole world is represented by Mitzrayim or sin. The whole world lies in sin. So where do we go? Do we go to God when we find ourselves in trouble as a nation? No. We go to this world to try to solve our economic woes, whatever woes we may have. And it says specifically to the Assyrian. So instead of going to God, it says our nation will look to our enemy who is going to come and destroy us. So there is some back and forth between Ephraim, our nation today, and the Assyrian in the end time. So like a silly, fluttering dove, we go to the world and we go to the Assyrian, our destroyer, to come rather than to God. Now let's go to chapter 8 and verse 1, <clears throat> and here is corroborated and perhaps magnified something I commented on before. It says, Set the trumpet <clears throat> to your mouth, <clears throat> 
speaking of our destroyer, he shall come as an eagle against the house of the eternal because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. The nations of Israel are the house or the nations of God. And it says that he will come as an eagle. Now you remember, I showed you that Joseph de Koch and Stanley Rader were the primarily the the two evil birds, maybe Joseph de Koch was one, the junior was the other one, maybe not Stan so much. Uh, although he was there as part destroyer from the Edomite side, his name certainly is Edomite. But de Koch has some Edomite variation or derivation, but it also is a Russian name that came out of Czechoslovakia and Russia. <coughs> So, the one who destroyed the church is of Russian, not German, descent. And in Ezekiel 17, it describes Herbert Armstrong as a great eagle with very colored wings stretching around the world. And indeed, the church of God was of many different colors of people around the world. And it says, another eagle will come who will make a deal with the first eagle but will not honor what he says he will do. said he'd walk in Herbert Armstrong's footsteps, and then he turned around and walked the other direction. But it was a man of Russian heritage who grew up in southwest Chicago in a Russian area who later came into the Church of God and led it back into Babylon and destroyed it. And his son followed through even as Ezekiel 17 continues and shows. So, here it says, the one who comes to destroy our land, the Assyrian, and if types hold, if what is happening in the church is what will happen spiritual Israel, is going to happen in physical Israel, then it will also be someone of Russian or a communist background who destroys this nation, not Germany. They are not communists. They are not a world power. We'll see more of that later on. Not in the sense of other powers that be, or one power that is, other than the United States. So he'll come as an eagle. And it is consistent if uh, Joseph de Koch is... Uh, label an eagle, and the Assyrian who comes to destroy us is also an eagle. Chapter 8, verse 7, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It has no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. Uh, if so be it yield, the strangers swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. So when we are taken captivity, it is to be a captivity into Gentile nations, swallowed up of the Gentiles. Now, even Stephen Collins in United <coughs> postulates, as did Herbert, uh, Herman Hay, that Germany has many Gadites, perhaps some of Asher. And I would not be surprised, brethren, to learn in the end, Germany is primarily Israelite. We probably have a higher percentage of Gentiles in this nation 
than they have in Germany. And yet we're still the Ephraimite tribe of Israel. But this will be a swallowing up of Gentiles. So it will be basically a Gentile alliance who will destroy Israel, including northwestern Europe and the United States and Britain and Australia and so on, where we find Israelite peoples today. So it won't be a nation that is maybe half or maybe more Israelite who whips up on the Israelites. It will be Gentiles. That is very clear here. Uh, verse 9, let's see. They are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone, by himself. Ibrahim has hired <coughs> lovers. Now, we have alliances, particularly the NATO alliance, uh, and that includes Germany. But where do we go to look for political and economic help? Well, our leaders are essentially communists today, and they go to communists behind the scenes for direction, guidance, and leadership, and to know what to do next. And we go more to communist nations than anywhere else for our economic help. Our market has been China more than any other nation, a communist country. So it is not Nazism or Germanism or whatever that we have followed the most. It has been communism where we have sought our help, where we have flown. <clears throat> A lot of what we are doing behind the scenes with Russia and the communists there is not out in the open as much. The economic thing is pretty clear. We've looked to the east Chapter 9 now, and verse 3. I'm just hitting some highlights here. <clears throat> Speaking of Israel, rejoice not, O Israel, for joy is other people, for you've gone a-whoring from your God. You have loved a reward upon every corn floor. So it's been a worldwide thing, and Revelation 18 indicates that the merchants around the world will cry and sob when we are destroyed. But here he says, They shall not dwell in the eternal's land... But Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. This is, there's an important side line here. They'll not dwell in the Lord's land. Now, we have come to understand and identify this land as the original promised land, which has all the blessings Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 8 talk about. This is the promised land. And it was extended across the country, as God said he would expand it later. But he says, we will not dwell in our own land anymore. But we will go to the nations of the world, Egypt, the, the Gentiles, led by the Assyrian. So that's where we're going to be taken captive. We'll be taken from the Lord's land and into these other nations. Now, we are not in the Middle East. Israel to be taken. The tribes of Israel are elsewhere, and they will be taken into Gentile nations and into Assyria. 
the, the Russians are pretty good at that, you know. If you were a Pole or a Czechoslovakian or a Russian who disagreed with the regime at the time, you were sent to Siberia or to some part of that land of Assyria, the king of the north. And there you lived pitifully or died, or both lived pitifully until you died. And we, this nation, are going to be taken captive and live pitifully till we die. Well, a third will die of famine and pestilence, a third by the sword, and a third taken captive. Uh, chapter 9, verse 11 now. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird, from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. You notice birds, they may be sitting in a tree and suddenly their wings flap and they're gone. It's not something where they lift one wing and hold it out there a while and then they lift the other wing and hold it a while and then they begin to kind of flap slowly and flap faster and then finally fly away. No, they flit away or take off very decidedly and very quickly with smaller birds for sure. And it says that our glory, our power, will just flip away quickly as a bird. And we're killing our children from conception. I'll have a comment about that again later on. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. We won wars. And then we have come to the point, we don't win wars anymore. We didn't win in Vietnam. We did not win in Afghanistan. Can't say we won in Iraq either. Nothing there much has changed, except maybe who controls the oil, which is what we were after in the first place. Ephraim, as I saw, Tyrus, a type of modern New York, perhaps Washington, is planted in a pleasant place. This is the most pleasant nation on earth, with more natural resources than any other. Ephraim was to have double portion. We had it backward. We thought Britain was Ephraim, and we were Manasseh. Not so. We have far more blessings than Britain ever had, and our worldwide power is greater than Britain's ever was. We're the hammer of the whole earth, and we are a combination a multitude of nations. All the states were completely sovereign and independent until they combined and set Washington, D.C. as the head over them. So we are an amalgamation of 50 separate nations gathered together as a united group or united states, united sovereign bodies who gave their sovereignty over to the federal government. So that is the union we have, which is bigger and more so, in that sense, than Britain ever had. But we're not here to define Israel so much today as we are to try to define the Assyrian. Uh, let's go to... Let's see, let me finish my thought here. Where was I? Verse... Is there iniquity in Gilead... Uh, verse 12, And Jacob fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. And by a prophet the Eternal brought Israel out of 
uh, sin or mitzrium, and by a prophet was he preserved. That's not what I... Oh, I'm, I'm in the... Uh, I'm not in the right chapter here. I was supposed to be in 9. How did I skip over there? It was verse 13. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. And there's where I wanted to make another comment about abortion. We've brought our own children, 50 million so far, they say, to the murderer. Now, we bring them to the murderer in war as well as they get a little older, but we murder them before they ever have a chance at life. And again, as I said last week, who started that? Was it Germany? No. Lenin, a Russian, was the first one to legalize abortion in a nation on the earth. So we got our abortion laws from communism, from Russia, not from Germany. Another point. We're adapting socialism and communism in our nation today. We're not adopting Nazism. It's communism. Now, let's look at it for a moment. What does communism claim? They claim to be communism, if you will, where everybody has equal. Now, that's the window dressing they'll give you. Common or commune. Communism. But that isn't the way it is in communist countries. They essentially have two classes. Elites and peons. Right? Is that way in China? Is that way in Russia? After the Berlin Wall came down, there were people who made billions and who are the elite today of Russia. And the rest are basically just workers. Same is true in China today, although a middle class has kind of developed, but it is quickly being squashed as well in China today. Now, you look at what's happening in America. Do you see anything? We see a growing elitism here where the 1% have most of it, and the middle class is being systematically destroyed and becoming peons. So no more will America be a nation with some rich, a very large middle class, and a small amount of poor people. It is being reversed. The elite class, the very moneyed, is still there. But have they not deliberately, deliberately given us NAFTA and all of these combinations with other nations that have caused our manufacturing to depart our shores, the high-paying jobs to leave, and aren't we becoming more and more dependent upon the government to give us a way to live in poverty? And isn't it hard for small businesses and the middle class to survive now? Have they not crafted the laws of the land against small business and middle class and given power to the big corporations? 
Do you see communism actively being legislated upon you, Americans? The laws that they produce are crafted specifically to destroy middle-class America and bring it down to their version of communism, which is, we will have a few who have it all, and the rest of you will work for us. That is the reality of America today. We have been taken over from the inside by communist thought, by communist law, with communist leaders doing it to us. We have already been subverted. We have already been turned into communists. It's happening around us every day that we draw breath. Now, is that going to be the same ones who take us down militarily, who have already destroyed our society, our culture, our middle class, and brought communism into our schools, our politics, and every part of our culture. If you look at it realistically, that's where we are today. What has been communist China and what has been the USSR is today America. So where's that destruction coming from? Communism has had greater and greater effect in this country for decades and decades. It's become more pronounced since World War II, but it goes back, back way before that. When our leaders were going and having meetings in Tehran, Iran, with Stalin, Churchill, and FDR meeting together there to make an alliance to destroy Germany, which we summarily did, working from both directions. And they have never, Germany, been the same since. They are not belligerent today, nor do they have a powerful military by any means today. And they are not infiltrating our country today. But who is? What is the reality of the world today? That's what we have to look at. We're not going to be taken over by ten nations in the middle of Europe. We read last week that Israel and Judah will fall together to the Gentiles. So it can't be an amalgamation of Israelite nations with one leader, supposedly German and the Assyrian, who destroy us. Speaking of American Britain because all Israel will be destroyed together by the Gentiles. And that includes those nations of Western Europe that Herbert Armstrong thought were going to be the beast power. No, they're Israelites. They have to be destroyed too by an outside force that is Gentile. Chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 1. Israel is an empty vine. He brings forth fruit to himself. An empty vine produces nothing. We increasingly produce less and less. The manufacturing, the jobs go overseas. We're getting to where we're just burger turners, and we're not really producing much. We're losing our technology to even do so. 
He brings forth fruit to himself. What's the biggest deal going on in our culture today? Selfies. People taking pictures of themselves and putting them on the internet. Are we selfish or what? Are we so busy trying to see ourselves and show ourselves to each other and focusing on the self, or are we producing something for others and for the world, including our own nation? No. The the fruit is gone. The vine is empty. Our heart is divided, verse 2. Is this a divided nation? It's becoming more and more divided racially, politically, and so on and so forth. We are not a united nation anymore. Let's see, chapter 10. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty, at fault, with fault. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. Is that what's happening with so-called Christianity today, is the name of Christ and of God being taken out of our schools, out of our politics, out of everything in our culture. Yes, it is. Our altars are being broken down. Christianity is under attack. Is that not what the Soviets, atheists, said they would do to us? How they would bury us? How they would destroy us from within and that they would destroy God? What is... What has been being taught to our people, our children in school? Atheism, evolution, not God is creator. That's not being taught in our schools anymore. Evolution has taken charge. Atheism has taken charge. Where did it come from? Communist thought, communist infiltrators. Not Nazi, not German, communist. Do we begin to see where the real enemy has been all along? That we were blind to all these years? I mean, we saw communism. We supposedly hated it. And we call people reds or commies or whatever. But where did the destruction come from? Well, it's, it's, this should become quite obvious that it's been coming all along from there. And not only has it been coming from there, it's about to get worse. It's about to get physical. They break down their altars, they spoil their images. For now they shall say, we have no king, because we feared not the eternal. What then should a king do to us? It's already beginning to be realized in this nation, among quite a few people, that our government is neutered. It's useless. It's worthless. It can't help us. Has our king not been made ineffective in that sense in helping destroy us? So as we go like a silly dove to the Assyrian, who did our president give seven islands to that are strategic to the oil fields of the Arctic? To the Germans? No, gave them to the Russians. Gave them some very important little islands that nobody had ever heard of that are oil-rich. We'll read one a little bit about oil. Chapter 10, verse 7. As from Samaria, that's Israel, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. 
You've seen foam on waves, and it's like it's just clipped off. So Israel's king is cut off. Does that mean specifically something happens to our leader? Does it mean something happens to our government as a whole? The king might represent the rest of the government, and in that sense, the king can represent the whole nation. So I don't know that this is a specific prophecy about our own leader, but we as a nation will be cut off as foam off water, just flicked off. Chapter 10, verse 13. Uh, you have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies, because you did trust in your way in the multitude of your mighty men. Now that describes us, who have trusted in our military, who have trusted in the arm of man as strength, rather than to God. Therefore shall a tumult arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be spoiled, as Shalman spoiled Beth Arbel in the day of battle. The mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. We are going to have civil war. We're going to have rebellion in the land. I quoted to you Jeremiah 51 last week where it says that there will come a rumor and another rumor later, and then violence in the land, ruler against ruler says the same thing right here. A tumult will arise among your people. Is it part race war? We see the beginnings of that happening in Ferguson and other places. Are there other things that might cause us to go to war with each other and with the politicians and the politicians against each other? Things are happening right now with the, uh, the border issue and illegal aliens where some of our rulers are calling for the other rulers to be impeached or removed from office. And they're beginning to make serious charges against each other today. Will this division cause a tumult? Even some of them are saying it will cause a tumult. God said it a long time ago. Now it's upon us. It'll get worse and worse. And it says the mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. Mother America is about to be destroyed by her own children fighting among themselves, dashing the mother on the rocks. So it first comes a civil war, and later on by a military uh, invasion from the Gentiles. But those Gentiles are among us today, throughout our government, national and state. And some of them are working behind the scenes to help incite the civil war that is about to hit upon us. It's all right here. So shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness, verse 15. In a morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. In a morning, again, like in a day, in an hour, in a month, as other scriptures indicate, but very, very quickly. In a morning is a very short period of time. This might be a specific prophecy about the king or the leader himself. I don't know. It might be the whole nation, which we know will be cut off as well. So we'll see how that works out. could be both. 
We've trusted in our military. God says it's not going to work. Uh, chapter 11, verse 5. He shall not return to the land of Egypt or Mitzrayim, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refuse to return to God. This time we will not be taken captive by Mitzrayim, but by the Assyrian, whoever that may be. And I think we're beginning to see some things that might indicate where that is today. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feeds on wind and follows after the east wind. Would you call Germany an east wind? In political parlance today, Germany is part of the West, part of NATO, part of Europe. They are defined as being the West, not the East. Where does the East begin? Now, I'm just going by what the Bible says. The East begins when you start getting into communism and into Russia, and further east from there until you reach eastern Russia and eastern uh, China and those areas. So Ephraim feeds on the east wind. He goes to the Assyrian, which is not part of the west, which is Germany today, the way we look at things. But further east than that, he daily increases lies and desolation, and they do make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried into Egypt, or to the world, to the nations of the world. America is a huge oil producer, but we buy oil from other nations, and it is the petrodollar that sustains our economy today and our economic system. Because a deal was struck that all oil in the world had to be sold through the United States dollar, so they came to be known as the petrodollar. And now nations who produce oil are beginning to say, we don't want to use the dollar anymore, we want to use our own currencies. And this has panicked our government, and that's why we went into Libya, it's why we're going into Syria, and why we went into Iraq, and why we want to go into Iran, and why now we are pushing at Russia through the Ukraine. We are the ones who infiltrated and set up the coup in the Ukraine to start with. That is admitted by many, and it has been stated by Soviet leadership, that it is American and NATO influence that caused the trouble that's there in the first place. So we have gone to the east, and we made a deal in Ukraine, and I think our leaders are making deals behind the scenes with the leaders of Russia today. Our president gave, without congressional approval or American approval, seven islands to the Russian president, or to Russia. So there are deals being made behind the scenes that you and I don't even know about. And I think they call each other comrade on the phone at night and make sarcastic comments about each other during the day. That is my assessment of the situation from everything I read and see. But where's the east went? I think this is something that we can use as part of a definition. 
we go to the east. Who do we kowtow to today? Germany? Well, we've been spying on them, but we don't really kowtow to them. We owe the Russians trillions of dollars. Uh, not the Russians, the Chinese, I mean. And we give them our national parks. We give them various things to try to cover. We've probably sold or given them all our gold and the gold of other nations that we were holding as well. And now they're trying, those nations are trying to get their gold back to repatriate it, and we don't have it to give them. So it's upsetting them. We're making deals in the East, not the West. Now, where am I here? Uh, in chapter 1, you're making a, a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to the world as a result. The pipelines for oil that we're fighting for go through and to the Black Sea and across, and who knows what kind of deals we're making under the table. Chapter 12, verse 8. And Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance. In all my labors they shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. What does this nation say? We are blessed by God. We're God's chosen nation, is the way Americans look at it. Maybe not in those exact words, but that's the way we look at it. And what does this say? Essentially, if I were a sinner, I would not be blessed the way I am. Look at all the blessings God has given us in this nation, we'll say. And if there's anything wrong with us, why would we have all these blessings? Well, there is something wrong with us. We're self-righteous. We give God lip service, to some degree, in this post-Christian nation we live in today. But we're self-righteous. And we think we're the best, and the, one, and the American way is the only way. But God says that's not true. You're self-righteous, and you're about to be destroyed. And he's going to send the Assyrian against us. Chapter 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended in Baal, he died. This is a nation that at one time, to some degree, trembled before God and recognized that he gave us the nation, gave us the blessings, and we looked to God, to one degree or another, as the source of our blessings, did we not? And we exalted ourselves in Israel, did we not? And we have become the leading nation among all the Israelite nations today. We're the acknowledged head, not only of Israel, but of the world, of Babylon. The one remaining superpower, as the world sees it. But when he offended in Baal, he died. So we are exalted right now, but we're about to keel over and die. Chapter 14, verse 9. This is not apparent to most people. It is not apparent to most people in the church... Yet today, why the church has been dissolved, splittered, devastated, and spewed out of God's mouth. 
It's always somebody else's fault, not mine. We're self-righteous in the church, and were, and that's why we were destroyed, and we have become as a nation self-righteous, and we are also going to be destroyed. But it isn't our fault. Americans won't say it's our fault. We've done nothing wrong. Why would anybody destroy us? We're self-righteous, just like the church. And even yet, with the church decimated and almost completely destroyed, very, very few recognize what has happened and why. And they don't know Joseph de Koch is of Russian and Edomite descent. And that the Assyrian destroyed the church, and the nations and the peoples that he came from are about to destroy our own nation. So what does Hosea say? Who is wise and shall understand these things? Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the eternal are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. So he's saying right here that very, very few are going to understand, and most will continue to transgress and die. It's true of the nation, and it's true of the church. Very few will understand. Who will see? Not very many. And they'll fall. So is it any surprise that the church didn't know what was coming on it and suddenly was spewed, destroyed, scattered, and no one knew why? And they still wonder. But they blame it on anybody but themselves. It was those Laodiceans. And I know who they are. It ain't me. We're the Philadelphians. They all say that. I don't know of anybody but us who claim to be Laodiceans. Nobody wants to be called that. Well, why did I get spewed? I'm no different than the rest. Are you? Didn't you deserve it as much as anybody? Sure you did. I did. What are we going to do about it? Blame somebody else? That's what most everybody's doing. Don't blame anybody but yourself, brethren. God spewed you too. You're part of the spittle. We've been over that many times. Uh, let's go to the book of Micah for a moment. Micah chapter 5. Here it talks about the church departing from the middle of Babylon and going and dwelling in the wilderness, and there we will be delivered in chapter 4. Uh, then he goes down and he talks about how uh, thousands will come out of Bethlehem, Ephrata, and Judah, spiritual Israel, and that the Assyrian is going to come into our land, uh, down about uh, verse 5. Micah 5, verse 5, And this man, speaking of the leader God appoints within the church, shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men, and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian. So God is going to send spiritual power from the church, to destroy the Assyrian who has destroyed our land. It is going to be a spiritual thing done by God 
like it was originally with Gideon, uh, where the Assyrians basically killed themselves, and all the Israelites had to do was break some lamps. <laughs> but God saw to it that it was taken care of. So that which has been in the past will be again. So God begins to show where deliverance will be and where protection will be from those who heed God, who depart from Babylon, and who depend not upon the United States military, but upon God for our help. Those are the ones who will be delivered. And in this fashion is laid out here. Now let's go to the next book, Nahum. This one is written primarily about the Assyrian, but it is intertwined with Israel because it has been clearly shown in the Scriptures that the Assyrian is the one to destroy Israel. And it is Israel who is the problem and the subject of God's wrath, not the Assyrian. The Assyrian later gets it because of what he does to Israel. But God is using the Assyrian as the rod of his anger to punish Israel. So let's just pick up a few highlights here in the book of Nahum. Chapter 1, verse 15. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace. O Judah, keep your solemn feasts, perform your vows, for the wickedness shall no more pass through you. He, the Assyrian, is utterly cut off. We just read that in Micah. But he says here, someone from God is going to bring the knowledge of what will cause peace and how it will happen, even as the Assyrian is coming into our land to destroy. And that is followed up in chapter 2, verse 2. For the Eternal has turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them and marred their vine branches. So God is going to use the Assyrian to strip all the leaves off of Israel and destroy it. Verse 6, The gates of your rivers shall be opened, and the palace shall be dissolved. The palace dissolved? Are we talking about the Pentagon? Are we talking about the White House? The seat of our authority and our government will be dissolved before the Assyrian. Chapter 3, Woe to the bloody city, to Nineveh, the capital anciently of the Assyrian, it is full of lies and robbery. The prey departs not. In other words, there's fraud and deception and thieving within Assyria. Russia today is known for the elite stealing from the poor and making them into peons. And if they say anything about it, they get sent to somewhere unpleasant, if you will. It's not something that's on the plate in front of us every day now. We don't see it as much as we did back in the days of Stalin and uh, so on, but it still goes on, believe me. If we have political dissidents today within this nation, the communist leaders that are there disappear them. They have strange accidents. They get suicided in the back of the head, and all kinds of things happen to them. Planes crash that shouldn't have. It happens in this nation as well. But he's talking here primarily about the Assyrian. 
So they have been known to war against their own people a great deal. Yeah, Germany in World War II and World War I has some history of that as well, but it's been more in communist countries, Russia, China, than in Germany per se. Let's see, chapter 3, verse 4 in Nahum. Because of the multitude of your whoredoms, of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, that sells nations through her whoredoms, and families through her witchcrafts. Let's translate that into modern terminology. What does communism do? It infiltrates nations, this one, South America, all around the world. They infiltrate nations, and what do they do? They break down families, and thereby break down those nations. They craftily, cunningly, behind the scenes, work their magic like witchcraft. They are atheistic. They worship Satan. Our leaders have accepted this, and many of them have become part of it. Our educational system has been infiltrated, and now we're down to the common core. Make all of our children common. Make them all where they can't facil- cannot produce anything but just be peons for the elite. That's what it's all about. And you can read, if you start reading on our educational system, you can see how it has been infiltrated by communist thinking from way back. They're the ones who have been coming in cunningly, craftily, destroying us from the inside out, as they bragged they would. Uh, Verse 12. All your strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall fall. Did I? Wait a minute here. Chapter 3. Oh, well, that's what I wanted, just a thought. All your strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall fall even to the mouth of the eater. The point I wanted to make is that Assyria will be destroyed, but she has strongholds. She has power. So when you talk about the Assyrian in the end time, it has to be a very, very powerful nation with a strong military. Verse 13, Behold your people in the midst of you are women. The gates of your land shall be set wide open to your enemies. The fire shall devour your barns. Speaking of the Assyrian. Their gates will be opened. Now, Israel was given more gates in the world than any other people such as the Suez Canal, the Panama Canal, and so on. We have had the greatest gates and the greatest ports. We have incredible ports in this country, east, west, and south. Now, if you look at the other world power that has been for the last decades, Russia, they have more gates than, let's say, Germany. Germany is basically landlocked. They only have one small gate, and that's out the Baltic to the North Sea, past Denmark and Sweden, a very narrow passage there is their only gateway to the world. So how are their gates left wide open if they don't have but one little bitty gate? 
By comparison, Russia has many gates. They don't have as many as Israel has had, but they also, through Leningrad, have access to the Baltic Sea, the same gate Germany has. So Germany, by just that one gate, they're equal, okay? They're the same. Then they have the Black Sea, which is a major gate to the south. They have all kinds of coastline on the north, where they have some ports, some ice-free most of the time. And way to the east, above Japan, and apart from China, they have gates toward us. And we just gave them seven islands, which are in themselves a gateway to the Arctic and to us, down through from the north through Alaska into the lower 48. Look at a globe, brethren. Who's the king of the north? Russia is almost around the globe in the north. We have a little bit up there through Alaska into the Arctic, and Norway and Sweden have a little bit, but the rest is Russia. Germany isn't the north. Look at your globe. Hello. <laughs> Russia has strongholds, powerful military. Germany doesn't. I've said for a long time, if, if Germany's going to defeat anybody, they'd have to turn our missiles around and point them at us. They don't have their own. But Russia does. China does. A Gentile amalgamation is led by Russia, the Assyrian, the king of the north. Uh, let's go to Habakkuk briefly. Verse 6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, it's another word for the Assyrian, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not there. Now, it's going to be a bitter and hasty nation, but one of the points I want to make here is it's not going to be a nuclear holocaust. Here's a very clear, very clear scripture that the Chaldean or Assyrian who comes into our land will possess our dwelling places. The houses will not be destroyed. The business commercial infrastructure the highway system, will not be destroyed. A nation wants, those people want, what we have. They're not going to destroy it. They're going to take us captive and take it over and live in and possess our homes. There are too many scriptures that indicate this, that it precludes a nuclear strike maybe a suitcase bomb or two or something very small, but they are not going to nuke us and destroy everything that's here. They'll come in and possess us. If I don't like my neighbor and I want to destroy him, I normally wouldn't destroy his house. I might shoot him in the yard, but I wouldn't destroy his house. I might want him to quit making payments and I could buy his house or take it over. That's the way people think. They won't, don't want this nation destroyed. All the blessings it has, its natural resources and its infrastructure. Trillions and trillions of dollars worth of infrastructure. Why would they destroy it? 
makes no sense. They're going to come in and possess it. That's what Scripture says. Yeah, will it be like a fire on the land? Yes, but that doesn't mean a nuclear fire. It's real easy to misunderstand what God is saying, and you have to put all the Scriptures together, and it shows the houses will remain and be taken. Uh, Verse 7, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. So they're going to be a powerful nation. Terrible and dreadful. Powerful army. All right, who today has this capacity? I just read uh, an article from a man who claims to be a prophet within the Church of God, and he's talking about this, I forget the name of it, organization that's going to be developing in uh, Germany to get nations together to consider some powerful technological stuff that will give them power. But it's in the future. And he's talking in the article about this may take decades to really develop. Now, who among us really thinks that we have that kind of time left? When you look at the worldwide economy today, it is about to go under. America is about to go under to our riots and tumult from within and then from an invasion from without. Who is making the threats today? Russia is. I've read several articles lately where Putin and leading politicians within Russia have been talked have been talking about getting rid of the American problem because of us imposing our sovereignty on other nations. And they're getting tired of it. And they're tired of being pushed at. And they're talking about remedies. I don't hear that coming out of Germany, do you? This thing is upon us. It's almost here. Our economy is a shell, and it will be crushed very quickly. The financial collapse is nearly here. The signs are everywhere. It isn't long. If Germany is to become a world superpower and then be the beast that rules the earth, they're going to have to get started this week. And they're going to have to be really, really busy for two weeks or six months or whatever it takes. The Russians are already there. They already have military power commensurate to ours, or very close. And they're renewing it right now as we speak. And communist China, who is their ally in the BRICS alliance, is also developing a military very similar and very powerful that could be a worthy antagonist or protagonist if they do come after us. So you have two militaries on the earth that can come close to rivaling ours. Russia and Communist China. Those are the only ones. So if this is coming down soon, it's got to be from those who have the power to do it. Led by the King of the North, Russia. Can we make any other conclusion? Germany's not a threat. Hasn't been for a long time. They've never rebuilt to the point they could be a threat. Their economy is in trouble today, just like the rest of Europe is. Theirs will crash along with ours and the rest of the world. Who is obtaining the gold today 
to give us a strong world currency when the petrodollar and all other paper dollars go away, or paper currencies. Russia has a lot of gold. China and India have a lot of gold. It is all going east. Most of it has already gone east. We don't have any left, or not much. Where is the power going to be? Those Gentile nations is where it's going to be. And it's not Germany. Germany's trying to get what little gold they have back from us, and we won't give it to them. Primarily because we probably don't have it. We've already leased it out to the Russians or the Chinese or to the Indians or somebody, and we can't get it back, and we won't give it to them. And now France wants theirs, and Amsterdam wants theirs. And the Swiss are about to say they want theirs. And none of them can get it. We're in trouble. What time is it? Um, let me make another... There's a couple of scriptures here I might just pass by pass. They kind of make the same points. Let's go to Isaiah 52 and look at this for a moment. It's, it kind of ties back to what I've said about the eagle and the Assyrian and so on. Isaiah 52, here the setting is that God is telling us to wake up, to be aware of what's going on, and to let, to not let those who are our leaders and our suppressors walk over us anymore, not to let Babylon walk on us, but to sit up and shake ourselves out of the dust, O captive daughter of Zion, verse 2. Notice verse 3, For thus says the Eternal, You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. We've sold ourselves to the world. We've whored after other nations, after other gods, and the church has as well. We fell back into materialism and the ways of the world, just having a form of religion with the feasts and holy days, but not really seeking God wholeheartedly. And it is that lackadaisical, Laodicean approach that God hated. For thus says the eternal God, My people went down aforetime into Mitzrayim to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now let's not just think of ancient history, Assyrian perhaps at that time, to uh, captivate God's people. But if you look at it today, the church went to the world to give it this little message of give and get that we gave, and to curry the favor of the nations, just like this nation has gone to curry the favor of other nations. So the church did the same thing the nation has been doing. And the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now why? Did Tkach oppress us and his son oppress us? Well, they were the Assyrians. And without cause, really. We were trying to do what was right, basically, weren't we? We may have been laying a sin about it, but we were trying to do what was right. But they had a cause. They wanted to haul us back to Babylon, as it says in Zechariah 5, and set us on our base there. 
back in Babylon. And that's what they proceeded to do. So they oppressed us without cause, really, did they not? And the Russians, or the Assyrians, are also going to oppress us, in a sense, without cause on a national basis. We have never attacked Russia, have we? We have attacked Germany, but we've never attacked Russia. They have no cause for vengeance in that sense, do they? No. They are a dreadful and a powerful people, and they want to dominate the world. They've made that very clear. Hitler basically wanted to attack Russia first. That was the one he was going after, the power to his east. We got into the war much, much later, and then he had to fight against us, but he didn't attack us, we attacked him. So we have been, or will be attacked in that sense, without cause, even nationally. Yeah, we've been enemies for a long time, but it wasn't anything that we did to them. We stopped when we got to Germany, as did they. And we didn't go on over and try to destroy Russia and subjugate it. We didn't do anything against them. We had an alliance with them. Like a silly dove, we went to the Russian. And like a silly dove, we've gone to communism and Russia again today. It's the ideology. It's the religion. It's the way they look at things that we have gone after and have inculcated into our own society and culture. And we are very quickly instituting communism today from the very leadership of our nation on down. We have a communist president today, in effect. Born and reared in communism, trained in communism, and prepared to be our president by communists behind the scenes. And today he is actively, as did Bush and as did Clinton, but it's the same, destroying the middle class, allowing people to come in and take our jobs so that we all become the poor, the communist peoples overruled by a group of elites. That's where we are today. And that ideology did not come from Germany. What is destroying us came from communism. I think I'll stop there. There's more, but that gives us quite a bit of input over the last three sermons into the scriptures and things that fit with communism and with those nations of the Gentiles far, far, far better overall than they do to Germany and its ideologies in any case. So what we see in the world today is what the Bible has been predicting, and we simply named the wrong country to lead the world and the New World Order and a European nation of group of nations of ten because of the prejudice of the 20th century not because of what the Bible says and what has actually been happening to us and is about to happen. So, um, I don't know that this completely nails it, but I think it pretty well shows the way things are today. 
and what is going to continue and become worse. And it's not coming from Germany, it's coming from communism and the countries that are allied together as communists. And it does talk about a great alliance of Gentile nations that will destroy us. It is not one so-called Gentile nation combined with nine Israelite nations that will destroy us. The Bible doesn't say that. It says it will come from the Gentiles. 